I want you to know this morning, if you're new to the church thing, uh, maybe you're here visiting in person and you're kind of new to the Christian faith, or maybe you're online and we welcome you today. We're glad that you're worshiping with us online. Uh, if you're new to church stuff, I need you to know that crazy stuff happens in church services sometimes. I like That's the whole thing that you need to know as we get going this morning in the message and in the teaching time. I discovered that on accident when I was a new minister. I was a student pastor at a church in a place called Rosenberg, Texas. It's a suburb of Houston, and I was new. And our church had a youth choir, and they had been working really hard. And myself and a man by the name of Larry, who was our worship leader at the time, we were working really hard to get this choir ready to go and to do a whole thing. Like on like a Sunday morning, they were leading the worship time. <coughs> so we got them ready, and our pastor said, are you sure that they're ready? We said, absolutely, they're ready. And we get them up there, and I will never forget this. The last thing that uh, Larry said to them as they got to go up, he's, this is what he said to them. We were in the back. We were getting ready to go to start the service. He said, listen, you guys have all worked hard. You know what to do. Make sure that when you sing, you smile. Smile when you sing, and don't forget, don't lock your knees. Now, listen, I'm not a doctor, I have no idea why he was saying that at the time. But come to find out, when you're on the platform and you're nervous and like your heartbeat is beating differently than it normally is and you lock your knees and it messes with your circulation, you can pass out. That's why sometimes grooms fall like timber because they lock their knees and, and over they go. Well, there was a guy, he was in the seventh grade, his name was Tyler. I'll never forget this moment. They're doing their thing. It's glorious. They're hitting their notes. They're smiling. They're doing everything right. But evidently, Tyler had locked his knees. Because Tyler's over here on the edge, and I'm talking about like a pine tree he goes over. And you could hear it over the chorus. Thump. And I'm just going, Lord, I didn't go to seminary for this. I have no idea what to do. It was in that moment I realized crazy stuff happens in church services, you guys. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before or what the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in a church service. But as I was getting ready and doing all of my research for this sermon, I researched crazy stuff that's happened in church services. That's where I was Googling this week. Let me tell you some of these things that I found. The, the visiting missionary missed a step, leaving the platform, fell forward, did a full-on shoulder roll off the platform, landed at the foot of the front row, and was unharmed. How many of you would like to see Pastor Zach exit the platform like that one day? Like full-on shoulder roll. I can just step up and go, da-da, right? That, that, would be a, that would be a crazy service if that happened one day. Uh, here's, here's a crazy thing that happened in a church service. Someone decided he didn't like what I was saying, so he came on stage with me and tried to wrestle the mic out of my hands. That would be an awkward moment, wouldn't it? And then there was a time that a brother lit his little sister's hair on fire. And then the time that our intern burned the scones in the kitchen and set off all the fire alarms. I could see that happening, right? 
And what's, what's scary about this one is it doesn't say accidentally lit the little sisters. It just says it happened, right? Here's a strange one. Crazy things happen in church services. Someone tried to break into a car in the parking lot. Men ran outside to stop him, surrounded his car, but he eventually ran into my father-in-law, driving with him on the hood for a bit in the parking lot before he fell off. Father-in-law wasn't hurt badly, but it was really hard to finish the service after that. Can you imagine that happening here? Like the story that you must have to tell if that's you on the hood. Be like, yeah, I stopped him. It was like the movies, right? I was on the hood, and he was driving and swerving, and I looked at him right in the eyes, and then I fell off. And you have that story for the rest of your life. Here's the strangest one to me. All these are kind of funny. Like, I just really feel strange about this one. Some guy stopped the service and asked us to pray that Jeff Gordon would not win the race that day. Like, how big of a fan of racing do you have to be to be like, wait, pastor, can you stop? I have a prayer request. If you don't know who Jeff Gordon is, he's a race car driver, right? I have that right, don't I? He's a race car driver. Uh, Can we please pray that Jeff Gordon doesn't win today because I'm tired of him winning these races? Weird stuff happens in church services. Now, if none of this has ever happened to you, good. That's, I mean, that's a great thing, I suppose. But the reason that I'm sharing these with you today is because we're looking at a passage of Scripture this morning uh, that I call a really wild church service. Now, when we look at the Scripture in a second in Mark chapter 1, what you're going to discover is that there's no phrase church service. It's going to say Jesus went to the synagogue. And I don't want you to, I don't want to lose you there. The synagogue was the local place for people to go and they went to, to pray together. They went to study together. A rabbi would show up and he would teach from the scriptures. And so it's kind of like a local congregation. When you read the word synagogue, I just want you to understand that's a local place that the people of God would express themselves. They would worship. They would gather together. They would study together. They would learn together. They would pray together. And what we're going to discover today is that Jesus was teaching the Bible one day when there was a really wild and crazy church service. And I don't want for us just to see that and go, oh, wow, that's crazy. I want for us to learn something from it this morning. And so look with me, if you would, in Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 21 through 28. So I'm going to give you a second just to turn there. If you're a guest today and you don't have a Bible, we give away copies of Bibles. If you need one, feel free to grab one on your way out there in the back on the, on the bookshelf. Grab one. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And here's what the scripture says. And they went into Capernaum. Capernaum was a place. This is a geographical location. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he, he being Jesus, entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Let's pause right there and understand what's happening. 
The people who go to this local synagogue, they're so happy Jesus is there. They're like, this is awesome. Finally, somebody who teaches something that's interesting. It says that they were astonished and they were amazed at what Jesus was teaching. And it says, because they taught them as one with authority, not like the scribes. So you just kind of get the sense there, don't you, that some of these people are going there because they've always gone there. They don't feel like they're learning much. They're listening to the scribes teach and teach and teach. But all of the sudden Jesus has really gripped them because of the way that he teaches truth. The scripture says that they were astonished, verse 22, for he taught them as one who had authority. Now look at verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. That means he was possessed by a demon. I just want you to understand that this morning. There was someone in the synagogue who was possessed by a demon and he cried out. That means he yelled at the top of his lungs. If you go back and look at what that word means in the original language, it wasn't a whisper. It was a yell. So here Jesus is teaching and pressing all of these people and they're going, oh wow, this is awesome teaching. And all of a sudden this guy who's possessed by a demon starts yelling out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Now notice in verse 25 that what Jesus says to this man is punctuated with an exclamation point. That means Jesus is not whispering either. They are both yelling at each other. Okay? Verse 26, And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all of the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, I want to start this morning by telling you the summary statement of Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28, is to establish that early in the ministry of Jesus, everybody knew that his authority was like none other. Not only did he teach with authority, but he could even command demons and they obeyed him. And in the midst of all that's going on, if you have your notes in front of you, you see that what we want to do is not just notice, oh, wow, that was a really wild service, but take a step back and say, what can we learn about our faith from this wild church service? What can we learn about the character of God from this wild church service? What can we learn about humanity, about people, about you, and about me? What can we learn about us from this wild church service? And and if you have your notes, you see that I want to share with you several things. The first thing that I want to share with you, the first lesson that I want for us to learn this morning, is that our Lord does not hide and does not run from evil. And so I'm encouraging this morning, if you're new to the fellowship, we hand out notes because it helps us sometimes just to write as we're listening and and we can go back and study these notes later on. I really want you to see this this morning. I want you to discover this. If you've never discovered this, this before, that our Lord does not run and does not hide from evil. Now, 
there's a myth, there's a system of teaching. You may have heard it before listening to the radio or watching TV preachers or somewhere along the line. You may have picked this up, that, that God cannot be in the presence of evilness. God is too holy to be around evil things. God is too holy to be around wickedness. God is too holy to be around things that are evil. I want you to understand this morning that that is completely an unbiblical idea. And we see it here this morning, don't we? Jesus didn't run from the one who was alienated from God. There was a man possessed by a demon in the service. Jesus didn't run. He didn't go and hide. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, okay, well, clearly this is not a place for me. Let me pack up my stuff uh, to the deacons and elders. Once you get this guy taken care of, I'll come back. But right now I'm out because I am not going to be around any place where there's a man with a demon. And I'll be back. Bye. And leave. He didn't leave. He didn't run. He didn't exit stage right and he didn't exit stage left. Why? Because the Lord does not have the reputation of running from evil. And so if you have a picture this morning of a God who runs from you when, when you see rebellion in your life or when you participate in something that's ungodly and you think that it's the character of God to run from you because you've made a mistake and you've committed sin in your life, you don't have a full picture of who God is. The Lord doesn't run from wickedness. The Lord runs to wickedness to, to confront it and to redeem it, and to transform it, and to restore it, the Lord doesn't run from those who are wicked and in rebellion and alienated from God. The Lord runs to them. I think this morning about all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. Adam and Eve rebel. It's so clear. It's explicitly clear. It's abundantly clear. That Adam and Eve rebel. They participate in wickedness. They participate in evil. And the scripture says that God still came to visit them. It wasn't God that ran from them. They ran from God. In fact, the scripture says when God came near, they ran and hid in the woods. And the Lord says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they cry out. They say, hey, we're, we're here, but we're hiding in the woods because uh, we don't have any clothes on. <laughs> That's what they say to God. And God's like, wait a second. How do you know all of this? Have you been in rebellion? Did you, did you do what I told you not to do? Of course, God knows the answer to this question, right? But God is creating an environment for them to admit their rebellion. And what we see, even in the Garden of Eden, is that God doesn't run from Adam and Eve. God moves towards them. This is the gospel. That in our wickedness and in our evil and in our rebellion, it isn't the character of God to run from us, but to move towards us. We just came off of Christmas season where we celebrated the reality that God came near to rebellious people to confront, to redeem, to restore, and to set free. And so what do we learn about this crazy church service? We learn that Jesus doesn't run from evil. That's important for us to understand for, for a number of reasons. One of which 
we often struggle with the idea that when we find ourselves in rebellion, we think that God is running from us. That is contrary to what the gospel teaches. God doesn't run from broken, rebellious people. God runs to them and confronts their sin and seeks to restore them and seeks to redeem them and seeks to compassionately transform them from the rebellion that they lived in to setting them free from the things that enslave them. That is, hello, precisely what happens in this crazy church story. And I want for us to catch that. Because I don't want for us just to go when we leave today, wow, that was a crazy synagogue experience. No, I want for us to understand the implications of the character of God. Lesson one, our Lord does not run or hide from evil. Lesson two, there is no true struggle between good and evil. There is no true struggle between good and evil. I want to ask you this morning for us to put our eyes back on God's word this morning. And I want for us to notice that in verse 25, the scripture says that Jesus rebuked the demon and said, be silent and come out of him. Verse 26 goes on to say, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And that everybody noticed this in verse 27. It says, with a new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. What's popular in our culture today is the never-ending saga of this thought of who's going to win between good and evil. Think about our movies. Whatever genre of movies you love, it it's all built on that struggle between good and evil. Uh, there's people in here who are like DC lovers, and there's people here who are like Marvel lovers, and then there's people like me who literally don't know the difference between the two. My kids are so annoyed that I don't know the difference between DC and Marvel. I don't. I don't know which one Spider-Man belongs to or Superman or Thor or all the others. I have no idea, but you know what I do know about them? It's based on this never-ending thought and excitement of are the good guys going to win or the bad guys going to win? And who is good and who is bad? And, and who would win in a battle between good and evil? And somewhere in some city in this world, uh, all the good guys show up and all the bad guys show up and we find out, don't we? That is the story of DC. That is the story of Marvel. But if you're a Western lover, that's also a story of all your Westerns that you love. There's the good guy, there's the bad cowboy, and eventually they're going to show up in the same place with some cool music track playing behind them, and they're going to stare at each other like this. And we're going to see that struggle between good and evil. And if you like the action movies, it's the same thing. There is the struggle between good and evil. And we sit on the edge of our seat going, man, I wonder who's going to win this round. And it's good for movies. But it's bad theology. Because there is never in the New Testament, not one time, that there was a struggle between Jesus and evil. 
Because he wins every single time with ease. He says, come out of this man. And they come screaming out of this man. Like in the tombs, there's a story in the tombs where the demons are literally begging Jesus. And he sends them out of the man. And there's this place in the Gospels, and we referenced it last week, and it's filled out in Matthew chapter 4, where Satan himself is tempting Jesus. And Jesus says to Satan, depart from me. And he leaves. And so as excited as we get over who's going to win between righteousness and wickedness, good and evil, I want you to live confident in your faith, understanding that there's no true struggle between good and evil. The Lord Jesus has already conquered all things. Praise God. Now, what I'm not saying to you this morning is that evil doesn't exist. I know that it exists. I feel the effects of it as much as you do. I feel the effects of it. There are times that you and I participate in it. So I understand that I, I, I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm not saying that we don't inflict pain on each other, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. I'm not saying that these things don't exist. What I'm saying to you is you will never read the Bible and go, oh my goodness, I wonder who's going to win. The prophets of old didn't stand in the corner biting their nails going, is God going to pull this one out? It's no struggle. And if we think that a created being like a fallen angel creates a serious and real and authentic threat to the power and the glory of God, we have a smaller view of God than what we should have. He is matchless. He is untouched in His power. There is no created being that could possibly dethrone God. And so rest, my friend, in the knowledge of what we learn, this lesson that we learn at this crazy, wild church service. There is no struggle between the power of Jesus and the schemes of the evil one at all. The first lesson that we learn, our Lord does not run from evil. The second lesson that we learn is that there's no true struggle between good and evil. And I got to tell you that this third lesson feels a little strange to say. Demons have good theology. Isn't that weird? As you're writing that down in your notes this morning, doesn't that feel a little weird to say something that's a little affirming about demons? Demons have good theology. The reality is these demons, when Jesus got up and began to teaching his teaching, they immediately knew who they were in the presence of. So much, they were so affected by the holiness of God, by the power of Jesus, that they spontaneously began screaming. It says they started crying out. This demon began crying out at the top of its lungs. 
It responded to the holiness and the power of Jesus. And look at the theology of this demon. Like this demon gets an A plus in systematic theology. Look with me if you would in the scripture. This is in verse 24. And the demon cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now before you read the rest of the sentence, notice what the demon says and what the demon doesn't say. Have you come to destroy us? Here's what the demon knew. You know that point that you just wrote down, there's no true struggle between good and evil? The demon already knew that. Because he doesn't say to Jesus, have you come to try to destroy us? He says, have you come to destroy us? Because the demon knows that Jesus can. Good theology. Again, demons pass their systematic theology class every time. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. They were accurate. This demon, he knew exactly who Jesus was. He didn't have to be told. Like the guy who got up to introduce Jesus that day. We don't know that this happened. I'm just completely imagining this. But hi everybody, I want to welcome you to synagogue today. We're glad that you're here. If you're a visitor, we want you to check in at the Welcome Center before you leave today. If you need a copy of the Old Testament Scriptures because a new one hadn't been written yet, we'd invite you to go and pick up a copy. And oh, by the way, we have a really special teacher today. He's the Son of God. He is the eternal Creator. He actually made you and He's here today. So would you give a warm welcome today for Jesus? the Holy One of God. That, I don't know that that happened. I don't think that it did. But the demons knew who He was. Jesus needed no introduction to the demons of hell because they knew who He was. The demons had good theology. And I think about that. And I think I've even said here before, not specifically about us as a congregation, but about the church globally, like worldwide, right? If the church understood what the demons understand about Jesus, we would live in a perpetual state of revival. Because they had it right. They understood who Jesus was. The problem isn't that they didn't intellectually, cerebrally understand who Jesus was. Which brings me to my next lesson. The man who, who was set free was a spiritual man, which teaches us that you can be spiritual and you can still be alienated from God. Now this one really rocks my world. I want to develop it a little bit this morning. And I want you to just kind of be cognizant this morning that this man that Jesus interacted with and set free, uh, this man was at the synagogue, like at worship. 
He was a spiritual man. He believed in the existence of God. And again, the scripture doesn't say this, uh, but just because we know a little bit about the culture of first century Judaism, it, it isn't a stretch to think that this man was possessed and he had been going to the synagogue for a while. We don't know when he became possessed by a demon. We just know that he was. And, and, it, and it's not as though this was probably his first time going to the synagogue. He probably had a long history of doing religious things like going to the synagogue and participating and maybe even saying some prayers and talking about the Old Testament and interacting with people in the community of faith. You see, here is the really important point. He was a spiritual man, but he was alienated from God. He was literally possessed by a demon. Now, here's the part where if we want to, we can distance ourselves from the guy. We can say, well... I'm not possessed by a demon, so I don't have any, any way to connect with this story or with this guy. And you can do that if you want. However, the reality is you don't have to be possessed by a demon to be alienated and distant from God. And here's the point that I would make this morning. One of the lessons that this story... <laughs> of this wild church service teaches us is that there are people who do spiritual and religious things like attend synagogue or attend church, relate to people in the community of faith, believe in the existence of God, and are still alienated from God. That's an important thing for us to be cognizant of. It would break my heart if that were true of somebody here and, and you never thought about that. And, and so half of me wants to hold up this story and say, look at the power and the goodness of God uh, to redeem people, even people who are alienated from God and demon possessed. And then the other half of me wants to say, but please, oh my goodness, please check your heart. Like reflect on yourself and make sure that you're not like this man, that you're spiritual, that you do spiritual things, that you're religious, that you do religious things. But when it comes right down to it, you're alienated from God. And the key for us, which was the key for him, is that mere belief in the existence of God doesn't mean that we're right with God. This guy who was demon-possessed clearly believed in God. He was at the synagogue to learn about God. And yet he needed Jesus to set him free. And so because I love you, I say to you that there's a possibility. And this is between you and God. I'm not the judge of this. But if the extent of your faith is that you believe in the existence of God, then according to the scripture, you're kind of like this guy. You may not be demon-possessed, but you're a spiritual person who's alienated from God, and you need to put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus and let Jesus free you and redeem you exactly how it happened here. It was only Jesus that could set this man free. 
It wasn't his intellectual understanding in the existence of God. It was Jesus releasing him and setting him free. And I would say to you that as many things that are different about this story as from our life, I can tell you that this one is the same. It is only Jesus that can set us free. And that there are people who are religious and who are spiritual, but desperately need to be reconciled to God. And so we've looked at some of these points this morning. First point, first lesson, our Lord does not run or hide from evil. There's no true struggle between good and evil. Demons have good theology. Uh, You can be spiritual and still be alienated from God. This last one is a little interesting because as, as conviction goes... This one is the most convicting for me. Uh, Here's what it is. The work of God is not always tidy. We know that because the whole title of this message is Lessons from a Wild Church Service. And, And we look at this story and we go, there are so many weird and provocative and crazy things about the story. And yet the story isn't about a demon at all. It's about the power of Jesus. And the story isn't about really demons good theology. The story is about the ability and the desire and the character of Jesus to seek out broken people and to restore them and to set them free. And so in a sense, I look at this and I go, this is quite a beautiful story. But what I always like to do when I look at these stories is I try to say, what if I had been there? What if I had been there? Would you look at verse 26 for me for just a second? That scripture says, That the man convulsed and cried out at a loud voice. And this is a church service, you guys. Like This is a thing like what we're doing right now. And there's a guy laying on the ground convulsing and screaming at the top of his lungs. And if you were like me or if I were like you, we would look at that and go, this is a weird place. I'm never coming back. This is strange. Like the people who are listening to the teacher are screaming at the teacher. The teacher's yelling back. There's a guy convulsing on the floor. Voices are shouting. This is not what I was picturing when I came to the synagogue on the Saturday. And yet it was the work of God. You see, the work of God isn't always neatly wrapped up with a little cute bow on it. When the unmatched and unstoppable power of God collides with the evil that is in this world, it is very rarely tidy. And we happen to see a picture of it in a synagogue at a worship service, but it happens all over the place in the Gospels, out in the streets. Next week we'll see in people's homes, here in the synagogue. And do you know what I think about And I told you this was a convicting lesson for me. Here's what I think about. Oftentimes, I would prefer predictability to the power of God ripping through a place. Like I think to myself as uh, one of the elders here at the church and as the, the, the one who teaches most of the time, I can certainly sometimes like trick myself into thinking I'm in charge around here, right? And so when I... When I think that way and I think to myself, no, I don't want people yelling at the top of their lungs while I'm trying to teach the Bible. That's just weird. 
But that's what happened that day. Because Jesus was freeing somebody. And I think to myself, Zach, you need to get with the program, man. You need to long for moments like this where Jesus does something that you could have never predicted or programmed. You should be saying, oh, Lord, would you set people free? Not secretly having anxiety over what would you do if this happened. And I think to myself, this is something that I believe we as a fellowship need to come to grips with. The restoring, redeeming power of God isn't always neat and tidy. Sometimes it's messy in our lives. But you know that's okay. Because the end result in this story was that this man was set free and that people understood who Jesus was. And that's what I want out of my life. I want people to look at me and understand that Jesus is powerful and that he can set people free. And I, I just share that, I guess, kind of making you my confessional. That sometimes I think in terms of powerful services being tidy and clean and neat and all buttoned up and everything's perfect. And that is not what happened on that day. It was unscripted and unpredictable and yet glorious and holy at the same time. And so this text has been stretching my faith so that I'm in a place where I pray now more, Lord, do whatever you want. If it's tidy, let it be tidy. And if it's messy, let it be messy. But, oh, Lord, would you transform the life of people? That's what I want. I want to ask you to bow your head this morning as we finish our time together. If you hear this this morning here or if you're online with us, and you realize that you are in the same place as this man who needed to be set free. You are a spiritual person, but you are alienated from God. I beg you with every fiber of my being, come home. Abandon the false notion that believing in the existence of God will save you. It will not. The demons in hell believe in the existence of God. And I ask you this morning to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. And if you're willing to do that, yield your life to this Jesus, the Holy One of God, then you can be at peace with God. Now clearly I can't force you. The person sitting close to you can't force you. The people who love you can't force you. But I just want you to be aware that it is possible for us to live spiritual and religious lives and be alienated from God. I don't want that for you. I want you to be restored and redeemed and whole and thrive 
to be a walking testimony and picture of the power of Jesus on this planet. And for you, dear believer, as you bow right now and are processing everything that you've experienced this morning, I ask you about your perspective and your view of God. Maybe this morning the the word of God is shaping the way that you see the Lord. And God is giving you a new confidence in his strength and power and glory and holiness. And you're realizing once again that there's no struggle. The one who sits on the throne has conquered all things. And you can live out your faith in these days with great conviction and great confidence knowing that the battle and the victory belongs to the Lord. And to you, dear friend, who is a follower of Jesus, your life is messy right now. It just might be that God is doing a great work in you. You might be in the throes of verse 26, metaphorically convulsing and crying out, and yet the Lord has already spoken the word of freedom into your life. And so I ask you not to despise the mess. ask you not to be discouraged by the reality that every segment and category of your life isn't neatly wrapped with a bow because there's a real possibility that God is at work in those messes and so instead of being embarrassed by them let's thank God for them Father, you have done an incredible work in our minds and in our hearts this morning with this text of Scripture. I think every one of us has been stretched and challenged in some form or fashion this morning for different reasons, but your interaction with this demon-possessed man in the middle of the service has just gripped us. We sense that. We know your nearness this morning and that Your desire isn't just to say, wow, look at what a crazy thing happened, but look at the implications. We stand amazed at your power and at your compassion for this broken man that desperately needed you. For your character that you don't run from the one who is alienated or rebellious, but you run to need that. That is gospel this morning. You've been good to us. We, we truly do exalt you. We love you. We're grateful for encountering us in the word of God. And we pray all of this in the high and holy name, the name that sets us free, the name that restores us and redeems us, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.